Congratulations, you found the play button, which means you are listening to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Today is September 20th of 2018, and today on the podcast, we're going to be having Tim Miller from Protest the Hero. But of course, before I go ahead and kick that off, I just want to mention that the Desert Tiger Podcast is 100% fan supported and driven so thank you so very much to our dedicated fans who are already subscribed to the podcast if you currently are not maybe you want to consider hitting that follow or subscribe button on whatever service you are listening to to give the show a little bit more of help that's all you have to do and it helps out for free all right let's kick it off with pth Music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwagner. And that is me, your host here on every single episode of the DTP. My name is Colton G. I hope that you are having yourselves a wonderful time. I know that I am, and I've already told you once why that is, and that is because of our guest today on the show, He is one of the guitarists in Protest the Hero. It is Mr. Tim Miller, and I am extremely excited for this because I don't know if you know, but Protest the Hero was the first headlining band I ever saw in a smaller venue. So, not only are they the first small show I ever saw, but I also credit them as being the band that got me into the screaming side of metal and hardcore and everything else. I know a lot of people from my age group growing up like to credit Alexis on Fire for that, but for me, Kazaya was an absolute game changer of an album that not only opened up my mind, but my ears to what was possible. So when the opportunity popped up for me to sit down with Tim before one of Protest the Hero's shows with Coheed and Cambria last week, I could not say no to the opportunity to ask one of the members of my favorite bands of all time all about the music that I have grown up loving. We dive right into things because around the time I got into Protest was around the time that they stopped playing most of their back catalog and kind of just started moving forward with who they were from there on. So we are going to dive into the creation of Kazaya, why the band felt like it was such a step forward for themselves. We're going to discuss the label years, the years that they were on Underground Operations and Vagrant Records, which also saw the releases of Fortress and Skrillius. And we're also going to discuss what it meant for the band to move forward as independent singers and songwriters being 100% control in pretty much everything that they were doing from that moment forward, which end up not only leading to the release of Volition, but also to an extended play album that they released single by single at the time which eventually ended up taking on the name Pacific Myth, 
we're going to discuss why they decided to go through those specific release styles, how it worked out for them. We're going to cover a lot of the history of the band. It is a very thorough conversation. I am so excited for you guys to hear it. So let's jump into this. Tim Miller, guitarist of Protest the Hero. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. How about you? I am doing fantastic. Just made the drive down from Kamloops today, so... Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so having a good time. You guys are just kicking off a tour with uh, Coheed and Cambria and Crownlands. Yeah, last night was the first night. Um, starting here in Vancouver. Trying to stay dry. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, first night was good. It's nice to get one out of the way. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, how long are you guys going to be on the road with them for? Uh, it's just under two weeks. I think it's nine shows, so it's definitely short and sweet. Just across uh, Canada type thing? Yeah, from here to Quebec City. Okay. 
So, but yeah, we're absolutely honored to kind of be a part of the tour. Coheed was a band that I listened to kind of growing up, mm-hmm. so it was kind of awesome to kind of now be sharing the stage with them. So. That's pretty fantastic. Do you guys find that your fan crossover is pretty good, considering that they're not so much on the heavier side, quite so much as protest is? Yeah, I guess we'll see. Last night, it was kind of hard to tell, but it definitely looked like a pretty good mix. I think we both fall into the the area of like the proggy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. So yeah, I do think there's some crossover for sure, but you're hoping that we're playing in front of a lot of new faces mm-hmm. and people that <clears throat> uh, would kind of see us and, you know, want to kind of check us out. We've done some support tours where we feel like we're kind of an oddball out and we're not really... Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, you guys might fit the ball where some people might walk away being like, you know what, I never actually thought I'd see protest, but... Yeah, they, they might know the name or they might have never even heard of us, and that's kind of what we're hoping to kind of still play in front of new faces. And mm-hmm. Well, I know that tonight's show is a sellout, so... Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully there should be at least a few new faces out yeah, there in the absolutely. crowd. <laughs> Alright, so I'm a huge fan of the band, so I want to get like right back into right around where I got into things and sort of where you guys kind of took a turn in your career. Mm-hmm. And that would be Kaziah, a album that a lot of people say was not only a turning point for like a Canadian metal scene, not only a turning point for a lot of music fans, including myself, but it was a turning point for also the band, where you guys sort of decided that like you're not going to play any more of your back catalog and you're going to move forward from there. How crucial was it to make the de- decision to like dedicate you yourselves completely forward to the product you were then creating, and what did it take to completely just like throw away everything at that point yeah I I think it might not have been much of a conscious decision but we felt when we were finished recording Kaziah that it was a lot different than the stuff previous which was kind of us finding our feet and I think everything about that record from like the recording process to the sound of the songs and the composition and stuff was a pretty big departure from some of the earlier stuff Mm -hmm. and I think it it was also kind of us being young and just being like this is what the band is now and all that stuff is Mm -hmm. you know whatever so I think it was kind of a combination of all those things that um, you know helped us kind of make those decisions and I think another thing was at that time when we were touring we usually would be opening for other bands and stuff like that so we didn't have a whole lot of time to play anyway so when it came to choosing five or six songs it was kind of a no-brainer to choose all the the newest stuff instead of kind of promoting the older stuff Mm okay it's understandable and then you guys have also been together for well the core of the band has been together for quite some time now how long have you guys actually been playing together yeah up until about uh 2013 we had been the same guys and we had kind of, we most of us had picked up our instruments to like start the band. So mm-hmm. there's a few years that we don't really count as being the band because we were just, you know, making obnoxious noise in <laughs> whoever's parents' basement will let us do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd say around the year 2000 is kind of when we, we started doing that. So uh, 
now there's three of us from the original lineup. So yeah, we've been playing music together for at least uh, 17, 18 years. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty, pretty uh, fantastic to build a repertoire with those members. And something that between you and other guitarists, Luke Hoskin, is a lot of people consider Luke the lead guitarist because everybody tries to relegate somebody to those roles. But anyone mm. that like sees you live we'll see that you guys often like play off each other and are quite often like going like off, off of each other's lines and doing the harmonies and everything and it's like is that something that you guys like have just naturally like progressed from just over those years of practicing together since you were young yeah i think so i think more in the beginning in the first few albums i would always try to kind of keep up or harmonize everything and it's kind of even more with the more recent stuff I think if you were to you know have those clear-cut lead and rhythm roles it's like that I've kind of tried to step back a little bit and not you know try to match or harmonize everything that was going on Mm -hmm. and um, but yeah I think it was just something that you know it's like you're playing this okay show me how to play that and I'll try to play it a little bit differently or you know, added harmony to that, and we always kind of wanted to be matching, matching up with everything we're doing. Mm-hmm. Sort of that uh, classic dueling guitars role. Yeah. Except you guys don't really duel that much. It's just it's harmonizes so damn well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. It's hard to say that you guys are dueling. Cause like in a lot of thrash metal bands, that was always like the say it was the dueling guitars, but like with you guys, it just flows so melodically. Yeah, I, I. The funny thing is, I think for some reason early on, I thought there was something wrong with like playing in unison or playing in unison for too long, where it's like a lot of, you know, the thrash bands that from the '80s that I like. It's like those are the riffs. Like when the both guitars are playing the same riff and it's mm-hmm. kind of like front and center. It's like those are the ones that hit hard. So, you know, it's something that. I think I kind of established the pattern. It's like, okay, I'll establish the rift and I'll hop to the harmony. And it's like, now I'm kind of more open to it. It's like, it's fine for us to be playing the same riff and just kind of like, you know, both attacking it instead of trying to, to change it and morph it all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's uh, discuss the rest of the underground operations years, mm-hmm. which is Fortress and. Skrillius, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the transition of the band through those years and like how the band evolved sound-wise and not only writing-wise, because you guys from Kazaya was very like a structured story, and then you guys like as time goes on, it's sort of less so unless like you read into it. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think like uh, lyrically and conceptually. We found that because um, I was getting a lot of attention because it was a concept record, mm-hmm. and it was we kind of wanted that to be a part of the story, but it seemed like it became a, a big focus, and people really started getting inside of it, which I guess they do. And a lot of people were asking questions that we didn't particularly have mm-hmm. answers for or want to have answers. So I think that kind of just veered us away. From that, and there was still some of that stuff going on with mm-hmm. Fortress, but it wasn't as blatant. And then, kind of when we got to Skrillex, we're just like, you know, it's like there's nothing wrong with having a collection of songs that mm-hmm. every song is about something different, and it's more that the 
you know, the time period is what's being reflected with the reporting. Mm -hmm, definitely, because that's something that with, like, uh, your tour mates, Coheed and Cambria, where it's like they dedicated themselves to a story for a very long time, and it's like it, it must get very difficult to do that after, like, five or six albums. So, I mean, to, the will to get away from that, I completely understand. Yeah, and I think for a band like them, it's kind of part of their identity where it's like, from the beginning that was a big part of what the band was about and there's you know other elements like a comic book and it's these characters and mm -hmm. you know it's something that it seems like was a huge importance to the music they were releasing mm -hmm. where for us it was just like we want to do it for this but we didn't have a sequel to that or anything kind of extending mm -hmm. um, but and then I think musically I think just from the time of recording because I uh, and with each album just mm -hmm. the amount of time we spent on the road touring and getting comfortable on our amps and just learning that was a huge time period of us really walking into a, a studio to record because I had knowing nothing mm -hmm. and then kind of just getting a lot more comfortable in that environment and with our instruments and even kind of learning a little bit more about songwriting and stuff like that so I think that was those pro progressions kind of happened just because of all the experiences we were having playing music mm -hmm. definitely without doubt so once it came time to step away from underground operations like you guys really seemed to relish the opportunity to move forward and sort of do things on your own mm -hmm. so like was there a specific like, reason why like suddenly like right out the gate it was just like awesome we're in control now or what was the feeling behind that yeah i think there was definitely like a liberation and this was not just with underground operations but with our label in the u.s mm -hmm. um as well i think we needed those pieces in place in order to establish our band okay but once we had done that to a point we mm -hmm at least wanted to give it a crack seeing what we could do for ourselves and um, so I think that was, that was really empowering I think now that we've experienced I see the role that uh, an importance record, la record labels can have mm -hmm. into developing and continuing to develop a band Yes, and it's, it's definitely a give and take but I think it was really important to us to at least see if we could do some of the things we thought we could do mm -hmm. and just really get an understanding I think it's with anything in the business it's like until you actually do it yourself it's like you'll never appreciate what it takes to kind of do the things that other people are doing mm -hmm. so I think it really opened our eyes to what needs to be done and it was a really good learning experience for us and I think as far as stuff in the future it's just experience and options that we have we kind of know what one one way what that offers and what where that could lead and we know where the kind of the other way is mm -hmm. as well okay so is a band that has been progressive and has tried to move their sound forward over 
the multiple times we're releasing albums, you guys have constantly joked that, oh, well, we're gonna lose half our fan base on this one, but <laughs> is, is that is that something that you've actually found that, like, a lot of people have turned on you over the years if you guys have, like, tried to progress your sound, or do you feel like a, people, a lot of people are growing with the band? I think it's hard to know the people that you lose because if you don't see yeah, them anymore I guess unless I, they're, they're going around I guess making comments online or whatever it is and however much you can take that mm-hmm. as an actual fan saying something mm-hmm. so it's like you don't meet a lot of people that are like oh I used to like your band and then you put out this record and I is it because you don't see those people at shows and stuff like that and it's fair um, as far as I can tell with um, the growth of the band it seems like the shows are still getting bigger and people know know the music and the, the newer mm-hmm. music as well. Um, it's hard to tell. The last tour we did was a 10-year anniversary of Fortress. So mm-hmm. it was, those are some of the biggest shows we've done as a band to date. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to take that as like, is this band growing or is everyone just coming out of the woodwork because that was That's the record true. they like. So it was hard to get a metric. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think... For the most part, it seems like people, as much as they like the old stuff, mm-hmm. we're trying to, you know, play the new, the new stuff, and it seems like people know know it as well. So, okay. so with that in mind, having just said that, for this tour, are you guys trying to break out some new songs? Are you playing like a lot of stuff off Pacific Myth? What does the set list look like? Are you guys constantly changing it up every night, or? No, pretty much for a tour, we'll write a set, and that's the set. Unless something, <laughs> unless something doesn't go go over well, or something mm-hmm. happens, then. But yeah, we kind of we don't have the liberties of kind of being like, oh, what do you feel like playing tonight, and jumping into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much a mixture of songs from Fortress on, um, and then we're also playing one song that. Um, it's going to be on our, our new album as well. So, okay. but we kind of wanted a balance of everything. We we're not the type of band that kind of comes out and just plays the new material. We're, mm-hmm. You know, we like playing the older stuff, and we know that people like to hear it. And it also is like sometimes those songs. It's a little bit of a break in the set when you're focusing on new stuff. It's a lot more concentration on stuff you played a thousand times. It's just yeah it's nice and easy and fun and you, it's easier for us as a band to get into that stuff okay. if we're not having to like focus on mm-hmm. everything we're doing okay so we'll get to what the new music is going here we'll work through um the off label stuff here so once you guys actually like didn't have the label there to do some of the planning some of the booking like do you guys find that you were a little bit overwhelmed? Did you guys like already like have a solid plan in place for like who was gonna handle what? Like this is like when we plan on being in the studio. Like, how did that all work out? Um, as far as just like uh, scheduling and like time management, as we kind of got older, we found that we could do stuff like that ourselves because it was like if we were talking to someone about oh when are we going to do this and that mm-hmm. like we just would have to communicate with them for them to communicate with us and mm-hmm. booking a studio or all that stuff um, mm-hmm. making a budget for an album or whatever it is it's like sometimes it was like 
more taxing to bring more people into it. Um, okay. So that wasn't uh, too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it comes to like manufacturing and releasing and um, stuff like that, we didn't know too much about it, but it was one of those things that we just kind of had to do it. And mm-hmm. it's like now, uh, Luke especially, he's been doing all the vinyl stuff. Mm-hmm. Where it's like now that's he's learned how to do that. And he knows how to like, do the layout and oh, really? you know talk to the the manufacturers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it just I don't know if it's a control thing, but it just seems easier instead of like here's our artwork, sending it to someone, have someone send it to the distributor. Mm-hmm. It was kind of easier to just take out some middlemen. Yeah, just talk to them directly. Some time and, yeah, um, I think the the only thing that we really realized was like when you're you know, paying for runs of vinyl. It's like you do need to have, uh, you have to like bankroll that yourself. So that was the thing that was kind of like, we were investing a lot of money just into manufacturing products, which eventually it would turn over, but it's like mm-hmm. we never had to deal with that investment side of it. Yeah, to put that initial yeah foot in and be like, oh man, I really hope this sells. Yeah. But it's like, I think it's a little bit easier to, to do that when you're investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. Where you know, okay, well, if this doesn't sell online, we'll take it on tour and we'll move. And when you kind of know that it does turn over, it's not as scary as if you were a third party being like, well, I hope, I hope this band does well. And mm-hmm. you don't really know the ins and outs of each artist that you're working with. So it was just, it did kind of... Uh, disrupt our cash flow a little bit because we would just keep putting money back into Mm -hmm. printing more vinyl when they run out kind of thing so that was the only thing that I think about doing it yourself is you know people look to a record label as a financier and that that is a huge benefit to have someone that's willing to take that risk and Mm -hmm. help kind of facilitate that process yeah for sure so once you didn't have like other voices in the process did you guys start taking more liberties with the music you were writing no like that was one thing in the past that we'd always kind of delivered our final recording and Mm -hmm. there was never any pushback or it's like I think we just established it's like we're going to give you a record and this is where you're going to get and it's like there was never any pressure or Mm -hmm. I think afterwards when a record was done then at that point anyone we were working with would be like okay this song jumped out to me and I like this and help with like the selection of mm-hmm. what they thought was okay this should be the first song you release and stuff like that for like but, singles yeah but it was out of what they've been given not like oh this song could be a single if you rework this and that there was no mm-hmm. um, songwriting advice or mm-hmm. stuff like that which now it's like having someone do something like that would probably be helpful for us <laughs> yeah but it just but kind of became it's like here's the record and it's done mm-hmm. that was that so but everyone that we worked with was understanding about that mm-hmm. and okay so also partway through this process we mentioned that in 2013 that you the lineup of the band started to change up did you guys have problems finding new members to 
replace Mo and Aerith, or um, did you guys like just naturally like find people through friends? Was it an easy transition bringing them into the band as well? Um. So when Mo left the band, it was before we recorded Volition. Mm -hmm. So we decided, but we had already written some of the songs for for that record. So we thought we're not going to try to look for someone to bring them into the band and then be like, okay, first thing up is record this record and stuff like that. So for that, we just kind of hired a session, a session player for that. Okay. And then we thought after, from there, we can find someone that will tour with us and will become like a band member. And that wasn't hard because Mike, who's playing drums with us now, was a friend. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest worry for us is not if someone can play the material, it's if we can sit in a van or tour with them for months on end mm -hmm. and still like each other so that's always a bigger worry than it's like well it's like someone can get better at their instrument mm -hmm. but it's harder to like shape a personality and well it's definitely true if you don't gel it's it can make for a lot more trouble than if somebody's missing a spot here or there <laughs> yeah so so that was nice just because we knew Mike and we had toured with his band uh, before that so we there wasn't any surprises with that. Um, mm -hmm. For RF, we um, we have a, a guy who still plays uh, bass for us. Uh, like he's recording on the new album as well. Mm -hmm. um, his name's Cam, and he we we joke because he started doing merch for us, and then he did lights, and then he did sound, and then he recorded our album. Like he's done, you know, everything under the sun for for the band um and he toured with us for a while but it's, it, he was pretty vocal about it not being his passion to be a performer mm -hmm. and part of the band where he, he likes doing sound and likes being in the studio and stuff mm -hmm. like that um so i think that was something that was difficult for us because we liked having him around and mm -hmm. he's a really great bass player but it was it was kind of hard to be like okay, now we're going to try to find someone because mm -hmm. we can see that, like, you don't want to be doing this. You'd rather be doing sound. Mm -hmm. um, so right now we have a guy that tours with us named Merrick, and he's a great player, and it's been, been going well. Mm -hmm. um, but that that's just been, okay, we're going to get you for tours, and Cam's still going to play bass mm -hmm. on the album, so it's kind of this, okay. like, in-between thing. But So you don't really have to, like, commit to anything necessarily until like, you guys feel comfortable enough to be like, hey, you've earned the spot. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's seems happy with you know that arrangement, and he's a mm -hmm. really like he shows up to practice. He knows everything <coughs> very easy, like very professional, and it's nice to like have that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, but yeah, I think since we don't really have a reason. To like find someone, be like you're the new. We don't need to do an audition and find our Robert Tadjulo. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Though we wanted to do that and be like, okay, here's your signing bonus, a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a check. You owe us money. Yeah, you, so you, you have to. Invest you can pay in it back. <laughs> 
So I'm sure that you are all excited about the new season of Making the Band that's going to be coming up with the members of Protest the Hero, but until then, I still have a lot of questions for my guest Tim Miller. We're going to discuss their latest EP, Pacific Myth, and the band's decision to release the album as singles over a period of six months. We're going to get into some of Tim's inspirations, and of course, we're going to talk a little bit more about the future of what Protest the Hero has going on, what they're cooking up in the kitchen. Hopefully it's hot chicken. So we are going to get right back into that soon, but before we do that, I just want to take a quick moment to thank everybody who has gone ahead and grabbed themselves one of these Desert Tiger t-shirts that we have printed off. We are working on some more designs as we speak. We're hoping to get like a cartoony one going on. That's going to be like super hilarious, I think. But until then, we got to move t-shirts to get t-shirts. That's just the sad reality of it all. So I just want to go ahead and thank everyone that has picked up a shirt from us. Because like I said at the beginning of the show, this podcast is 100% fan supported. So to all of you who subscribe and who share the episodes, those are the free ways to help us out. I am so very thankful. But to those of you who have actually put your faith in Desert Tiger enough to grab a t-shirt and show it off to your family, your friends, hell, even your enemies, thank you so very much for doing that. Alright, we're going to play a little bit more of Protests, then we're going to be jumping right back into this interview with Tim Miller, so I hope you're ready for another track off Pacific Bay.
specific myth, you guys sort of went a different route for releasing it. Mm-hmm. Rather than going the full EP at the start, you guys decided to go through Bandcamp and do like an, a song per month for six months. Was there a specific reason that you tried that specific like approach? And how did it end up working for you? Yeah, we just thought it was was interesting. I think we also thought that instead of giving someone an album on a release date, giving them a song, you know, every month on the same day or whatever it was, um, it just is kind of more exciting. We like the like subscription. We thought of like the magazine that you would get every month, and you'd be mm-hmm. like, "It show up." I'm like, "Oh, this is," you know, but it wasn't like this anthology of stuff that you I don't know we just kind of Mm -hmm. thought breaking it up like that would kind of create the suspense and excitement Um, and it's nice that like after the fact it's like it was cool for all the people that were a part of that but it's like now it's just like another release where Mm -hmm. when people see it they don't particularly know that that's kind of like how it came together oh it was it was awesome while it was happening because I as soon as I heard about it, I signed up, and like every day that the song would show up, it was just like Christmas because like <gasps> yeah yeah wake up new music yeah it seemed like even though it was like a smaller little um, a community of people that it was like people that were really excited about it and really into the idea of being a part of that and there was dialogue like back and forth so it's like it was cool for us because we could put out a song and then the next day have people that were part of the subscription saying what they liked or didn't like or you know just seeing that direct connection and that excitement mm-hmm. you know right out of the gate and it was kind of it, it was inspiring to be like okay let's you know bust our ass for the next song and you know kind of help mm-hmm. you know I guess when you're doing a record and you're you know removed from interaction with people you kind of just like put all this time and effort into something and you're like Mm -hmm. let's hope that this this is good or whatever yeah but it was just nice to have that direct direct uh, response and do it on a song by song basis when opposed to putting out an album and people like yeah it's all right Mm -hmm. it kind of just slowed down the pace of things so okay so we you mentioned earlier that you guys are playing one new song that is going to be featured on a future album. Mm-hmm. So do you guys still plan on following the DIY method of self-release and everything for that album? And what details can you give me about the recording and the process that you guys are currently in for the creation of said album? Yeah, we haven't entirely made up our minds on how we're going to release it Mm -hmm. um but we've decided to like fund the recording process ourselves i think at that point after when it's done and you've you've paid for everything out of your own pocket it makes it really hard to to sell it and give it away to someone else to Mm -hmm. exploit it so we'll we'll see or open to discussions with people but you know, once you've paid for your own record, it's kind of hard to, to like, find someone mm-hmm. to work with you and give you the value to give in you return. the right distribution deal. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah, it's kind of like if you 
if you pay for this thing and then you just immediately give it away, mm-hmm. it's you kind of just it just kind of like squashes the excitement about you're like oh I did this myself and you know mm-hmm. we kind of put this all together and um, so we'll see we're we're definitely open to it um, we're also open to doing it ourselves and seeing how that goes um, right now all the instruments are done and then vocals are going to be done in October sometime. Oh wow. So it's been a pretty long spaced out process where we started in January. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like a year, it hasn't been a year of straight recording, there's just been blocks throughout the year. So it's very like spread out. refining. Not, not even, it's just been people's schedules and like okay we'll do guitars here and then we got a tour and then we can fit in this here. So. Mm-hmm. We've just been taking our time, and it's kind of nice because I think you forget about, like I was recording in January, and you forget about what you did then, and then you kind of hear it after the drums are done, you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of fresh ears on it, so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. We're taking our time, and mm-hmm. once it's done and we have a finished copy in our hand, I think we'll kind of figure out what we're going to do with it. So probably looking like sometime in 2019? Yeah, I, I hope so. Fantastic, I hope so as well. Okay, so let's get a little bit more into you as a person. So we mentioned earlier that you are had a lot of influence in thrash metal bands and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So who were some of your guitar gods? Who were some of your high school idols? Some of the people that like got you through those moments in high school and like those things that like really those bands that really inspired you forward yeah I think um when I was in high school I kind of started off listening to a lot of like punk and punk rock and that's where I started learning guitar with the bands like Propagandi and NoFX and Pennywise and stuff like that and a lot of those bands, they always, like, had, like, a metal tinge to them, so mm-hmm. it was, like, really fast stuff, not a lot of, like, really technical playing, but, you know, they were, they were kind of crossing the genre a little bit, so I think that's why that led to some more guitar-based um, metal stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of, at that point, went back and listened to, like, Metallica, Megadeth, and a lot of, like, Shred stuff and Paul Gilbert, Racer X, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Paul B- Gilbert's a big one that's been a, a huge influence because he's such like a unique player, but also has crazy chops. But he's also tasteful. Yeah, I find. Um, and then like a lot of like proggy stuff, like Dream Theater and Symphony X and all that stuff. I think in that period of like being in high school, the amount of like music I was consuming and going after it was just like one lead to the next and it's like it's really at that time of your life you kind of put a lot of effort into researching music and following and finding new stuff I was like really hungry for that stuff um, and I think a lot of like bands like On Earth and Kill Switch Engage and that kind of hardcore metal that was pretty popular in the early 2000s um, that definitely had an influence as well mm-hmm. okay. cool. um, so over the 17 18 years of writing music and touring as a band do you have any uh, 
favorite stories from being on the road, maybe things that went really good, maybe things that didn't go so good that you can look back on with the fond eye now. Yeah, it's hard to kind of pinpoint just one off the, the top of my head. I think the biggest thing is when you listen to bands growing up and then you end up kind of being on tour with them mm-hmm. and kind of not entirely being able to like put yourself in that teenager headspace where you're like mm-hmm. I'd be losing it if you know if the 14 year old version of me could like look five ten years ahead and you know see these these opportunities mm-hmm. um, but I think yeah just definitely being around a lot of bands that I looked up to and being able to tour with them and get to know them and just being able to like watch them play every night I think that's been mm-hmm. the best experiences where you're if you take the time to like watch and learn and ask questions and just kind of observe mm-hmm. it's like you can take a lot away from that and I think those are opportunities sometimes squandered because people you know just don't take the time to do that mm-hmm. um, but yeah I can't really think of I'm trying to think of a particular thing of something mm-hmm. I learned learned a lot of lessons the hard way um, but I think it's important to take something away from that instead of just victimize yourself it's true you have to actually learn from those moments rather than beating yourself up mm. yeah absolutely okay so really odd question i know that the answer is a no are we ever going to see more cheddar cheese in the mousetrap <laughs> uh yeah i'd say probably no uh i should ask Rody. that was his masterpiece um, but definitely not live because when we did we did a tour a four day tour and it was us and like three other comedians mm-hmm. so it was like weird already but it was basically just me like driving to the shows setting up everyone's gear <laughs> <laughs> so unless we had a tech which we couldn't mm-hmm. afford but we were getting paid like 200 bucks a mm-hmm. show um, yeah but, yeah, I should ask. I'll ask Rody. <laughs> so basically, as long as you don't have to set up all the gear, <laughs> yeah. everything should be okay. It, yeah, do all the all the logistics. <laughs> can get, like, a tour with you and Cancer Bats where they can do Bat Sabbath and yeah. can- Cancer Bat set, and then you guys can do Cheddar Cheese and then protest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so at this point in time, you've toured with like quite a few like well-known bands and have gotten the chance to share the stage like through festivals and other things with quite a few of your heroes and otherwise is there any bands that you haven't had the chance to possibly play along with that you would if things fell in line would definitely be like oh yeah we're making that happen <laughs> yeah absolutely um try i think it would be cool to go out with some of those like punk bands that I grew up listening to like Anoafax or Strung Out or Mm -hmm. um yeah we haven't really kind of mixed ourselves into that world I think we've shied away from it because Mm -hmm. we're like a little bit 
heavier and tech more technical yeah um but yeah i think anytime we've been at a festival where a band like good riddance is playing or you know bands that i really grew up listening to it's like we don't know if it would work but it'd be kind of cool and then there's also this like humility of mm-hmm. you know doing a tour with bands like that and how that all that all works but i think that'd be that'd be pretty cool i think there's a lot of bands that i don't necessarily think we would fit well together that'd be like a cool tour like the other day i was thinking it'd be like if we did a tour with muse which would never happen and it's mm-hmm. like way that's a way bigger scale mm-hmm. than anything that we have ever even seen yeah definitely that's it's just, I was like how do you get from mm-hmm. that point to being like mm-hmm. you know supporting a band like coheed and these bigger venues to like someone that even if you're opening for an arena tour it's like how do you get to that mm-hmm. that point so it's a, it's a pretty big transition and it's uh a lot of bands have attempted it and then shied away <laughs> yeah but um yeah i think that would be one i think i often like think about opportunities like that that mm-hmm. if they were to come along we'd definitely jump on it but i, I just i'm not hopeful that stuff like that would come along okay all right so over the years of touring have you found that you have a must-have item for the road or like comfort food or something that just you need when you're on tour i can usually get by with very little but i think Mm -hmm. i like uh on tour i like to go for runs I think having like a good pair of running shoes is pretty key but yeah I guess outside of that like most things you can if you don't if you forget them Mm -hmm. you can get them Um, and I think over the years I've gotten a little bit more realistic I think I used to pack like everything I feel like when I was going on tour it's like I have to bring everything I could possibly need and try mm-hmm. to think of all those instances where now I just try to keep it a little bit more realistic and mm-hmm. like oh especially in in this situation I'm like I'm gone for two weeks mm-hmm. so it's, it's like what are, what are you really gonna need and what are you actually gonna have time for yeah exactly yeah I bring like five books on a tour and like read half of one and be like carrying around this you know all this stuff so I think, at least I think I've gotten a little bit better and not being such a pack rat on tour. So, you just mentioned that you are a reader. So, what kind of literature do you like to get into? Is there a specific genre? Do you like to spread it around? What are your favorite, like, styles? Yeah, it really depends. Um, Like, right now I'm just reading a book of short stories. So, I like that because it's not too committal you don't you don't have to invest too much time in like mm-hmm. so I find stuff like that it's really easy to digest especially if you're in kind of a environment that's you know sometimes people are talking and it's mm-hmm. hard to concentrate and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, but yeah I'd say that and then I found like poetry it's kind of the same thing it's just something you can pick up mm-hmm. and read but you're not too invested in, you know, a story or if you put it down Giants, for... 600-page novel. Yeah, if you mm. put it down for 
a week you're not gonna you know lose you have to kind of remember mm-hmm. forget stuff. details yeah the backstory so I find stuff like that's really good for when you're traveling and mm-hmm. okay cool um, so you said that you're at like the opening level for Coheed who are some of the bands that are at the opening level for protests or maybe a little bit underneath that that you guys are keeping your eyes on yeah um, it's kind of hard to you know keep your ear to the ground and anytime we've done tours where we are headlining we kind of get um, submissions Mm -hmm. sent to us that's like a list of bands and You know, it, it's unfortunate that you, we can't have the time to like go to every band and listen to everything. And if a name sticks out to you, or if you know someone in one of the bands, it's usually they're gonna kind of have a better chance. Mm-hmm. Natural. But <clears throat> it's definitely one of those things where it is important. I find to like find those bands that are kind of on the way up, and um, we'll be bringing out different. Um, audiences and especially I think maybe a younger audience because mm-hmm. even though we're, we're not old I think if you can find people that are younger and bringing out younger people that's going to maybe have more longevity um, absolutely but yeah the like I said the process for us is we get a, a list of names unless we have like suggestions we get a list of these bands are just in, in this tour mm-hmm. what do you think and we kind of go from there okay so, let's step outside music and books. What do you do when you're not writing music and on the road? Besides reading, of course. Yeah, um, so for the last two years I've been working part-time doing like bookkeeping and music business for our, our business management for a few other bands. So that, that's been something that I've been uh, you know, getting into it was someone that I always kind of over would oversee for protests, mm-hmm. and there was like always a lot of frustration with not understanding a lot of stuff that was going on. So I kind of wanted to learn mm-hmm. as much as I could, um, and then seeing that there's a huge um, demand for that skill set in this industry because a lot of people don't have it or they put it as a last resort and, or they think they can't afford it mm-hmm. and make a lot of bad financial decisions because of that. So I've been doing that. Um, I'm married. I have a kid that's three years old and I have another daughter on the way in a month. So Congratulations. Yeah. So a lot of family stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Awesome. Before I ask my last question of you, where can the audience find more about you and Protest the Hero? Yeah, usually um, our website, protestthehero.ca, or any of like the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, that's kind of where most of, most of the content and information can be found. Okay, cool. So, for my last question, we've talked about the a little bit about the future of the band. Um, where does your future fit in there, and where do you see yourself as well as the band in the next five years? 
Um, yeah, I think definitely as we kind of all hit middle age, we're slowing down as far as, you know, our eagerness to travel around the world eight months out of the year and stuff like that. But I don't think the, the magic and excitement of like making music, recording music and all of that um, has worn off. So I think we're going to continue to make music and, and you know I, I've always been very grateful and thankful that we have such a strong fan base mm-hmm. and it gives us I feel like the time that we put into it at a young age has kind of given us this opportunity to, to take our time and now that we kind of have that um, <clears throat> makes it a little bit easier to choose the pace at which we kind of continue mm-hmm. I, I think there's going to be a lot of lot of activity hopefully uh, less time between albums and stuff like that and uh, we're going to try to focus on like giving people more content so you know videos and just stuff that is kind of mm-hmm. constantly bringing people to kind of see what we're up to and mm-hmm. kind of a, a deeper look inside of whether it's how to play parts or how mm. we recorded this or how we wrote this or just kind of some more insights into you know what mm. we're doing and how we did it mm. do you guys plan on videotaping a lot of the process along the way because I know that that's something that you did with Pacific Myth that was something that like got added into the people that like had pre-ordered and everything else was like video content is that something that you guys continue on planning to do is the documentation for the recording of this this new album we haven't really been shooting much um mike our drummer uh he's just got a, a nice camera and he's really been getting into that stuff but it's hard if he's shooting it he's not in it kind of thing mm-hmm. so yeah there hasn't been a huge like documentary portion but i think we're just kind of more interested in you know quick things like here's me playing this riff and here we are at this show or whatever it is Mm -hmm. even if it's just like goofy whatever but trying to kind of be more consistent about giving people material like Mm -hmm. that and you know not have a long form here's a 20 minute episode about this process but Mm -hmm. kind of just have a bit of a more of an online presence try and uh, discuss things more with your fans and be a little bit more involved that way yeah for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Tim. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thinking. Honestly, thank yeah, you. Great to meet you. So somewhere there's a 14 or 15 year old Colton freaking out a little bit slightly, but rather than dwell on his feelings, I'm just going to go ahead and thank Tim Miller for allowing me the time to sit down with me and share the story of Protest the Hero, the past the present, the future, and the role that he has played along in that journey. I had a great time meeting Tim. Hopefully I can sit down with more of the protest boys once they get that new album out and rocking sometime in 2019. Fingers crossed. But until then, like I said, huge thank you to Tim Miller. I also want to go ahead and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. If you can go ahead and leave a review, maybe subscribe, maybe share the episode. All those options are free ways to help out this podcast and to help us grow. We are almost one year old. Yeah!
And of course, if you want to take that one step further, you can always reach out to us and get yourself a Desert Tiger t-shirt so you can show all your enemies just what they should truly hate because haters gonna hate and winners gonna win. So until next time, I will see you again.